Credit Card, brought to you by Bank of Ireland in partnership with Aer Lingus. Whether you're buying your weekly basics or splurging on a special gift, with Air Credit Card, you'll collect Avios and unlock even more rewards. The only credit card in Ireland that gives you travel rewards as you spend. Sign up now by searching Bank of Ireland Air Credit Card and go from tap to takeoff. Bank of Ireland, begin. Over 18s only. Acceptance criteria, lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Subject to a monthly fee of €7.99 and annual government stamp duty of €30. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. Now, every Friday on the show at this time, we take a look back at the stories that really got us talking over the last seven days. Joining me for this edition of The Final Furlong in studio this evening are Steve Cummins, comedian, Mairead Lavery, journalist with The Farmer's Journal, and Neve Lyons, political editor with The Times Ireland edition. Good evening to you all. Looking forward to the bank holiday weekend, I hope. Are we? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Mairead was just saying that she was down at Bloom, and I was like, what is the age the lower age limit for access to food. You have to be kind of... <laughs> Two months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of babies and buggies. Lots of people, you know, on maternity leave and they're there with their mum and, you know, there's three generations going around together and everybody's goon and, you know, there's more little oon and an over small babas than but there is over the plants. But I, I find with Bloom, a lot of it's about the eating rather than looking at the gardens, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, but still, if, you're, you know, if you want to see the determined faces of people with their trolleys and their gear and everything to bring the plants home, <laughs> you know, they, they know what they're there for, they know what they want to buy. Yeah. So th- it's good business. There's We're a lot of business be some going kind of on. Inspection program as to whether they manage to keep the same plants alive. <laughs> the year, right? I've heard I've heard it described as the longitude for mammies. Is yeah. how they've described. Oh, and Neve, have you recovered from the elections? Just dreams of the elections. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of a very tough, I'd say, for the people who are going to be counting um, down the Ireland South constituency, you know. And I think people were sort of aghast at the idea that it would be a month and cost a million euro. Um, you have to give it to the Sinn Féin candidate in a way. Are you prepared to kind of lock yourself out of a job on the chance that perhaps 2% could be found somewhere? Because it's 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 a mammoth, mammoth exercise to get all those votes counted. Yeah. I mean, I heard there were trolleys being deployed over in Midlands, Northwest, something like 75 tonnes of paper. Um, and it's really interesting, I think, as well, that so many more people are putting themselves forward. It used to be quite a closed shop, the Euros. And now it's almost like a, a general election where mm. everyone thinks, well, I'll just throw my name in the hat. Yeah. Even though yeah, it's a but very expensive have, one. But I mean, again, I was voting in, in Ireland South. Mm. And I mean, that ballot paper like went on forever. You, I was you, wondering whether people in Ireland South actually ran out of table in the polling booth. Yeah, but I mean, you, I think what it led you to do was because you couldn't be bothered looking for everybody on it. Yeah. You went and you voted 1-2 or 1-2-3 and that was yeah. it. All and right. you left the rest of them out. Well, look, we'll have 28 days accounting to discuss yeah. Ireland <laughs> South again, I suppose. Um, obviously, the bank holiday weekend, we'll all be getting ready for traffic, particularly on the N7, but also public transport. I want to talk about public transport, Steve, because uh, I want to talk about taxis. And a lot of people, it's fair to say, just aren't in the mood for chatting and for chatty drivers and all that stuff. And I see Uber's giving its customers the option to avoid small talk during their ride. You can select a quiet preferred option. Now it's only available if you're very fancy and you have the luxury Uber Black services which will cost you extra. But I want to know, do you talk to your taxi driver or do you prefer to keep quiet? I do, right? And I I don't always regret it but often I regret it. You know, I get in and I'll start chatting and the next thing you know the guy will say something like horrendously racist or or whatever and then you're sitting going, oh, why did I open this up? And then, it depends on my mood, sometimes I just kind of mess around. 
the comedian Jared Regan had a very clever idea where he said that um, he wanted to start a rumour with one taxi driver to see would it get passed around <laughs> all the other taxi drivers. And the one he picked on was because it was at the time when, do you remember when it was when we first had a load of um, non-nationals move to Ireland? And then you had stories of, oh, there was a Nigerian woman showed up with a buggy to the bus stop and then took on the baby and someone said, your buggy love. And she went, don't worry about it. They'll give me another one when I get yeah. off. Yeah. And people were believing that story and it was flying around. So Charlotte, this great idea where he went, um, I'm going to start a rumour with one taxi driver where that uh, stuck with the Nigerians that they're stealing the swans from Stevens Green. And he, his whole point was to see if, the rumor he, mill. if he told it enough, would it mm. one day come back to him as fact? I've never checked mm. with him if it has, but it, it was <laughs> yeah. a great idea. So you get in, you do chat to them, and then sometimes you might regret it. Yeah? I do, but most of the time, like, and most taxi drivers are happy enough. I often sometimes, though, you can see it's almost a well-rehearsed conversation from the taxi driver. Like, he's saying the same thing. You know he's saying the same thing to mm. the same people. And maybe it's an excuse just to, for example, if he's fed up with the, the counting in the general election. He's going to tell 20 people about that. Yeah. yeah. yeah and true. enjoy it. You know? Neve, what's your experience? Yeah, I think sometimes it's funny when I'm coming into radio studios like this, I often do strike up the conversation because sometimes there could be a topic that you're not that sure on and you run it past them and they will have a completely different perspective on it and a real life perspective rather than what people would often accuse me of being kind of inside the old Leinster house bubble, although I do try to make sure um, <laughs> that I'm not kind of reporting from that sort of perspective as much as I can. But um, I, I think that idea of the quiet journey sometimes can be about the, the, the taxi driver talking on their phone because a lot of the time now they turn around to you and say, do you mind if I speak on my phone and they have their own headset mm. on? I have no problem with that, but I, I've heard people who really have a problem with that, that they don't want the driver to be speaking at all. My feeling on that is... You're in their car. You know, you don't have to be... I, I, I've heard other people telling taxi drivers turn off the radio and I'm kind of thinking mm. it's kind of like going into someone else's house and going here, stick on the kettle well, and what's in the fridge. Well, it's a PSV. You're paying yeah. for it though. I don't, yeah. I don't have a problem yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marit, what do you when think? Well, I use taxis coming in and out here to News Talk. Yeah, and Lo- lovely drivers, yeah, of course. And over the years, I have absolutely... I really enjoyed the company of the drivers. And there's one, Andy. Hello, Andy. He's out in Tala. And uh, he's not well at the moment and I know all about his grandchildren and we ended up getting a sheepdog from his neighbouring farmer. Um, I know another gentleman now is a regular, he regularly picks me up and uh, again, I know exactly his two sons, the daughter-in-laws, his wife, the, where they go on holidays. Mm. I have a whole chat. It's like getting into the car and you've got a lovely, familiar person to talk to on the way. Mm. So you flirt now, with taxi drivers? <laughs> no, I don't flirt at all. We just talk. Sure you don't. You've got a free dog out of but it. What ha- no, we paid for him. Um, what, what, uh, t- talking to the taxi driver coming in now t- this afternoon, yeah. um, I, I was saying we were coming up with this topic and uh, he was saying that, you know, we really need to build in the benefit of taxi drivers who know the city, who know the good restaurants, who know the touristy points. Yeah. Because they're really, you know, when it comes to the cruise ships coming in and the yeah. tourists, they often just prefer to get in a taxi and show us the spots. And one of the things he says, he brings tourists up to the Phoenix Park and uh, helps them, brings carrots in the car always, if he knows he's doing this job, um, and feeds the, 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 the deer in the park. And he produced the photographs yeah. to prove it to me. So all three of you are kind of in agreement that you like speaking to taxi drivers. So yeah. who, are, who are these antisocial people then, Steve, who don't? Are these the same ones who like the silent carriages on trains, I'm assuming? Well, the silent carriage on train, I would leap into the silent carriage on a train because, you know, it's the... When I can hear everyone... We actually spoke about it in this very studio before where, where you have somebody giving you their full details of their lives because they're talking to someone else on the phone. And that can be very annoying. Um, I think the people... 
I, my first thought is when I when I read something like this, I think ah, that's just those people. You know, mm. there's still certain people are just rude or antisocial. But I can see it if you're if you're busy, if you're stressed, if you're planning where you're about to go to, you've got something like you have a presentation or something. I can see why you'd want to be completely quiet. There's always going to be the the a holes who are mm. just rude and just f- feel that that's. That's one of my servants who I'm... Yeah, but I've never... Anytime I've, I've said, look, it, I need to really learn my notes here. I need to really go through this stuff. Can I, you know, we just no no talk. And well, would no you problem. Not, would you not feel rude saying that, though? No, As no, an no, Irish no, person. no, because I have a bit of work to do and I need to get it done. Right. And absolutely understanding. I, I think, you know, taxi drivers are criticised you know, unwarrantedly. Yeah, um, I have to tell you, get I, on great with him. I got a taxi recently where the driver asked me, "Was I happy with the radio station? Did I like mm. the music that was played?" And he lifted yeah. up a paper and said, "Do you want to read it, the paper?" Yeah, I just thought, what a great it's getting service. Getting very corporate, Absolutely. you know. And I think they know very well. They have a good sense of when someone gets into their cab, and if they ask a question and the person kind of isn't effusive in their answer, yeah. they really pick up on that often. Yeah. I find. Yeah, yeah. Well, I see, mean, they're the ultimate. I mean, they're dealing with people all the time. Mm. All, all and they've learned from everything. Uber a bit. You know, from people with the Uber ratings and you, you, we all hear these yeah. stories of these Uber drivers who, when you get in and they've got, here's some sweets, here's a <laughs> bottle of water, <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And I think taxi drivers are going, you know what, mm. at the end of the day, my tip will be better. Yeah, that's so also true in fairness. Um, well, anyway, that's an app, uh, the Uber app, the black services is the way you can get the quiet preferred options. That'll cost you extra. Steve, I mentioned trains with you. Um, I don't know if you saw this week with the huge disruption at Houston Station recently with this uh, major signal fault. It caused some services to be suspended. And looking at public transport, Dublin has the second highest transport costs in the world. So are we getting what we're paying for, do you think? I wouldn't. No, I'm not. A, thankfully, I don't have to use public transport very often. I think Irish people, because our public transport, especially Dubliners, I think because our public transport system does fail regularly, we're very good at handling failure. Um, about 10 years ago, there was a problem in Switzerland. There was a major power cut and all the trains stopped. And apparently the Swiss literally were standing like chickens with nowhere to go on train platforms because they weren't used to... To, to a failure in their system. <laughs> They're so used to perfect on-time trains yeah. that they couldn't compute. Whereas I was on, uh, I was in Pierce Street there about uh, about six months ago and suddenly an announcement came over and it said, um, the train, whatever, my next train's delayed because um, a vehicle is after colliding with a bridge, right? So obviously if anything hits one of the bridges, they have to get an engineer out to make sure it's fine. Uh, as soon as that happened, it was so funny. You like There were people, you could basically see tourists and people who are not really used to being in Ireland we're waiting, going, ah, oh, this will change. Everyone else was like, grand, I can get a bus. I can do whatever. Yeah. Like, we're so used mm. to the system failing. So to answer your question, no, I don't think that, I don't think it's worth the money at right. all. Neve, let me ask you, do we expect too much? You know, Ireland is a small country. Mm. You know, Dublin's a relatively small capital city. Are we expecting too much from the public transport system? Well, like, even if we just get out of Dublin for a second, I mean, there are huge issues here. But, you know, going I mean, the, down the fact to... that there's no public transport to the airport apart from a bus, would that be an example? Yeah, I mean, obviously there are big plans in that regard and, you know, whether or not there'll be any money left to pay for it after the broadband is, is paid for will be another thing. But, I mean, I even think the idea um, that in Kerry or in Donegal, it's impossible to get around unless you're driving. I mean, 
there's never ever been any kind of joined up thinking on how we solve those kind of problems. I mean, Galway City at the moment is practically at a standstill because of traffic. And how has no minister, or frankly, we had a Taoiseach for the west of the country, how has no one ever said, right, we need some sort of light rail transport here or some proper bus network? Why is it only the dubs that have ever been sorted? I mean, look, refracting that through the whole climate change debate, a lot of the time you hear from government, oh, make your small changes, have your keep cups and stop using your plastic bottles. I mean, that type of approach is not going to help anything. If they want us out of our cars, they really need to start looking at what they need to do for these kinds of things. Yeah, and you'd have a lot of dealings with people in rural Ireland as well. Yeah, well, in rural Ireland, well, one of the things that's happening that is a positive development is local link. And it's a new, it's, it's been going on, there's been a rural transport initiative for a while, but it's always been on annual funding. So people didn't know was the, were the routes going to be there the next, next week. And most of it was door to door. Now, door to door means that somebody, an elderly person is picked up at their door and they're brought to the local town, they're dropped outside the supermarket or outside the post office to get their pension. And they're picked up a couple of hours later and dropped to the door with their groceries and everything brought into the kitchen for them even. Um, so there was a lot of that door-to-door service going on. But now there's an awful lot more of the scheduled routes, particularly around towns like, say, Cavan, where, you know, they discovered that four or five miles outside the town, people were as isolated as if they were 40 miles outside the town. So if Mohammed won't come to the mountain. So they're, they're, yeah, now there's, there's, they've now got five-year plan in, in place. And they, they don't turn people down. If, mm. you, if you've if you lost the shopping, like just think of yourself, you're maybe 63 or 4 years of age, for a medical reason you can't drive, the sh- village shop is closed down, the post office is gone and the butcher's is gone. It's now no longer a matter of flagging the neighbour to bring you down the, the half a mile to the village. It's maybe a 10 or 15 mile return trip. And so the actual need for that public transport is much greater than it ever was in the past. But does what you're saying about local link, does that show that if you have it, people will use it? Absolutely. And for instance, in one of the, one of the in South Kildare, um, they have a big service going up to Minute University now from North Offaly and West uh, Kildare. And there's been in one of the secondary schools in that catchment area, there's been a threefold increase in the number of youngsters going to Minute University because of the, the cost, the sheer cost. Of, now they have guaranteed transport that will get them there and back in time and they don't have to pay accommodation costs. And that matters to so many families. Yeah. Really well, big deal. The government are rolling it out, aren't they? But just in terms of the, 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 the transport, I mean, I come to Dublin one day a week generally. Uh, I've now been using transport, uh, public transport, getting the train up to Houston and back. If you don't book a seat, you won't get a seat. Even, even if, if you do get one, yeah, sometimes you, you don't. You can't take it over because maybe it's somebody older or whatever. Um, but you, you, people are standing on that train from the time they get on Port Arlington the whole way to Dublin. Um, a couple of times when I hadn't booked a, booked a ticket, I stood from Torless to Dublin and back out as far as Port Leash. Um, you know, and you're it's not expensive. I, I saw yeah, trees 60, already from 63 UCC. euro yeah, for a return ticket. From recently. where? 63 from? From Limerick. Limited to Dublin. To Dublin yeah. wow. And Theresa was t- t- tweeting that she'd spent €84 Euro on her ticket um, to wherever she was going and she was halfway through her journey and she still didn't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. Now, they really need to get but don't the, don't they have there. signs up everywhere saying we have Wi-Fi yeah, and, and advertising if wants to Irish commute, Rail Wi-Fi is hilarious. But it if someone wants work. to commute, then 
part of that whole process is being able to work. You know, right. Now, at least they have got the plugs in and you can keep everything charged. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's that's one thing. OK, well, there'll be lots of people probably listening to us on the train uh, this Absolutely. evening. You have our sympathies if you are standing. We will be back shortly just to remind you, our guests this evening for the final furlong are Steve Cummins, comedian, Maureen Lavery, journalist with the Farmer's Journal, and Neve Lyons, political editor with the Times Ireland edition. And you're welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with me, Shane Beatty, sitting in for Ivan Yates. My guests are still with us, Steve Cummins, Maureen Lavery and Neve Lyons. And uh, this is certainly an interesting one if you faced a busy week of work. If you're one of those notorious employees who constantly fakes a cold or a severe headache to boycott work, well, this news would make your day because you can now get a doctor's sheet ordering you to rest after being diagnosed with burnout. Steve, what do you make of this? Uh, my first jump onto this was straight away going, oh, well, that's just very handy for anybody who wants to take some time off. But burnout really does exist. I think it happened to me many years ago when I was, I used to work with juvenile offenders and with, and at the very extreme level with, you know, this is the first kind of residential placement for lads who'd been with hundreds of charges. Do you know what I mean? And this is the first time they were, and they were being assessed for court. And I've been doing it for many years and I was good at it. And I was... I only realised, thank God, uh, when my eldest son was born, I took a year's career break to look after him and push the comedy. The comedy took off, so I didn't, I was able to stop. And it was only in, you know, when you get get away from a situation that you realise that you were actually in a lot worse state Mm. than you thought you were. And it was, what the bit for me was, the bit that I kind of really noticed was that I was no longer looking at the young people, uh, I was pretty much boys, looking at the boys as... um, is, I, I, I would look at them and I would see their victims, if you know what I mean. I would see what, instead of instead of really trying to work to kind of get these lads, say, weekend trips home or whatever else, I was going, why am I busting my butt to get this guy a weekend home when he's going to be terrorising his neighbourhood and da 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 And that was the wrong attitude to have. And I really believe that it was a form of burnout right. in that way. In I, the job. Yeah, I had, I had not, I probably had lost a lot of my compassion or something. They were but, a commodity, maybe more than no, more so. They were. Do you know what they were? It was, it was an ever-ending sea of the same kind of issues all the time. You know, when you have, when you'd have a young lad in and you'd, you'd previously had two of his brothers, his uncles, his father, you know what I mean? You're going, this is like a non, a constant river that you're never going to yeah. damn, if you know what I mean. Well, obviously that's a very high stress job. I mean, Neve, as a political journalist, you guys work crazy hours, in mm. fairness. I mean, you're never really off. The fact that this is a condition recognised by the World Health Organisation, they say burnout is in the list of classification of diseases, can you understand or do you just think it's people who are a little bit work shy? Well, I, I think phrases like mindfulness and, you know, uh, work-life balance was all kind of baloney a decade ago. And now I think the trend of larger corporations coming in here and saying, you know, don't just take an hour lunch, take two, but work later. I don't know whether that's been a good or a bad thing, to be honest, because I think it has made the working day longer. I think people are now bringing home their laptops and as soon as they put the kids to bed, they're back online again and they're dealing with their emails from so Australia or you the think United States. You think it's better get in, do your work and get home? Yeah, like, I mean, what you're saying there about being a political reporter, you are always on. And sometimes it used to really dawn on me when I'd be um, traipsing down to government buildings for kind of a press conference at five or six o'clock and you'd meet a lot of people going the opposite direction down to Pier Street Dart Station and their runners and you think, God, me and you started at the same time this morning and I still have about four or five hours of work to do. And then I'm kind of like, but my job wouldn't be like, you know, a full day of stress and meetings or whatever. It's 
it's probably as much work, but over a much longer period, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, there's kind of flexibilities in every role that people can kind of take advantage of. But is it not, if you like, you know this phrase that, that everyone uses, you like, if yeah. you like your job or you, you love your job, work. you'll never have to work a day in your life. Is this all just people who don't like their job? Yeah, I think, though, there's a sort of a mentality and a kind of a corporate attitude that's creeping into every job at the moment, whereby... Um, you kind of have to be this sort of a presenteeism thing. Yeah. And, you know, even if you have your work done for that day, that it's not even right to be running for the dart at five o'clock. Because Maybe you should be leaving a bit later. Some people, you know, you're in work till five, you could have everything done by half yeah. three. You're saying you should be able to skedaddle. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, couples in particular who are birth- both in the workforce need massive flexibility from their jobs and are probably better able at actually keeping the plate spinning. I mean, I often notice when we have a bit of a difficulty with childcare, we usually do get our work done. Um, but you still feel a bit guilty sort of creeping off so-called mm. earlier, mm. even though mm. the chances are, yeah. like I said, you're going to be going home and catching up on, on whatever you missed right. in the afternoon. Right, let me bring in you uh, because yeah. you're known for saying it out straight, I think it's fair uh, to say. And you've also, you have employed people and you can, you know, particularly yeah. you, I know you've employed a lot of younger people. Are we talking here about the snowflakes and they're just kind of thinking to themselves, I'm a little bit work shy, I'm burnt out, I'm stressed. Is this just an aversion to working? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I think, um, you know, when I started working, uh, you went into work at nine o'clock or half nine and you left at five or half five and that was it. Um, The work didn't chase you. This idea of having to send off, you know, a hundred pieces of correspondence before breakfast. Uh, that that wasn't on the agenda. And, and I think people are, they are tied to their jobs an awful lot more and they are expected to be on the whole time. And, you know, and then maybe it's not across every sector, but in quite a lot of sectors, you're just busy all the time. And there's so much information being thrown at you. But could and you turn around to your boss and say, sorry, I know in France didn't they outlaw yeah, this, but could, yeah, should you be able to say, I'm not going to answer my phone in the evening? Well, I, th- I think, I don't know whether we're going in that direction, but certainly that's what the French did. But I think one of the biggest problems is if people are being asked to do something that's beyond their capability. You know, that it, it's not that they, they're not maybe trained for it, you know, maybe they're anxious over it and they're not getting the support behind them. That's where you really see it because then a job that maybe was once enjoyed is is no longer something that people like um, and, and they dread going into work. Often well, as well, when you're saying that thing about can you say no to a boss, not only can you not say no to a boss about the work that you have to do, mm. oftentimes what's coming in now is that people have to socialise for work reasons. So there could be like golf having to be played at the weekend. There could be late night evenings out with clients or whatever that used to be done at lunchtime and are now being done, you know, in the evenings. That's all cutting into people's free time. If and you that's don't not classed as work. Yeah, and if you don't have that space in your brain to completely switch yeah. off and to go home and even just get a good night's sleep, you're not actually going to be performing to the best of your capabilities. All right, mm-hmm. well, I have to do my work now mm-hmm. for a second because we're going to leave it there for a moment. My final furlong panellists are staying with me, Steve Cummins, Mairead Lavery and Neve Lyons. But uh, first, let's check in on the latest news headlines. And you're welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with me, Shane B. She's sitting in for Ivan Yates. Of course, we're here at the final furlong and joining me for this edition is Steve Cummins, the comedian, Mairead Lavery, journalist with the Farmer's Journal and Neave Lyons, political editor with the Times Ireland edition. A place where a lot of people could be heading this evening for the Bank Holiday Weekend Mm. is to the pub. But... Uh, if certain people get their way, future alcohol laws will look at restricting the number of new licensed premises in problem drinking areas. This is the Director of Public Health for the South of Ireland who said that the laws should look at reducing the number of pubs 
in some of these areas where they're having antisocial behaviour problems. Neve, what do you make of this? Is he going for the job as the most unpopular person in the country, I wonder? Is it the job for zero crack? Yeah, I mean, like, we already have a massive problem with pubs closing. And I say that as someone who definitely thinks that there should be restrictions on the sale of alcohol or whatever. But, I mean, uh, in this country, I know we have deep-seated issues with our relationship with alcohol. But I do think we are moving beyond the kind of, um, you know, people going in every night and drink driving home issues that we have. It's the place where we go to meet. I think we've tried the kind of cafe culture and maybe now you see, particularly in the cities, cafes are open a bit later um, and people can go and meet there instead. But the truth is there's something... Um, really kind of welcoming. It's where people go after a funeral. It's where they go, you know, um, to celebrate big life. Um, and there's booze there. Yeah. I was going to say, they're not going predominantly yeah. for a cup of tea. Some are, but mm. there is alcohol present there as well. And we all know the no, problems with try, drinking. Try, drink, try drinking eight pints of tea. Yeah. See how well you do, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, well, still, no, I, 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 well, I don't think this will fly anyway, but the issue is not around pubs anymore. The issue is around supermarkets and convenience yeah. stores. Um, 43% of people drink at home. That's all mostly due to buying the stuff in the off-licences. Uh, 42% in pubs. But then do they drink in the pub after they drink at home? Or are you saying they're, they're not going? They're going they're, maybe they're not going because of the drink driving laws down the country. Maybe in, in urban areas where you've got public transport and other options you can, or big towns, you know, you can well, drink you, at home and go kids out. Once you've kids and you're thinking, am I going yeah. to spend 50 quid in a babysitter before no, I even leave the house? No. So you'll drink at home. But Easier to get a bottle of wine or something at home. Absolutely. The, the number... Um, the sales, the sixty percent of all alcohol sales now are in con- in convenience stores and the supermarkets. There's been a, an absolute massive. I think in a five year period there was a hundred and sixty one percent increase in the number of licenses held by you know, those those kind of outlets and a fall of nineteen percent mm. in the pubs. But so it's not the pubs any longer. Right. We're not drinking but in just pubs to be clear, and we're not buying our alcohol. The, there. the director of public health in this case is talking about restricting the number of new pubs in problem drinking areas. So well, what what matters if you go down to the local convenience store and you can buy a slab of whatever it is? I think this for a few is suggesting euro. though that when people are teaming out of the pubs after hours that then there are fights and problems which probably don't happen. That's a policing matter in I a would say. Or, yeah. or stagger closing times. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know a... what I mean? So you don't have this is what happens in the city centre. Obviously I work at night. Yeah. And in the city centre and when the all the clubs on the weekend close at roughly the same time, whatever it is, two or three. Half, half two, sort of. Half yeah. two. Yeah. Then at half two, what you have is thousands, literally thousands yeah. of drunk people. A lot of them young men who are testosterone up the wazoo. All looking yeah. for the same taxi. All, all looking for the same for taxi, the same, the same bit yeah. of food. Mm. Yeah. And, the and same even in a society where we have an awful lot of difficulties and whatever, in 6.8 billion spent on drink last year on alcohol. That excludes now alcohol eating out. Yeah. That, but um, 6.8 billion, we've spent twice as much on drink as we did on sh- shoes and clothes and 85% of what we spend on food. I have never put on a pair of shoes and gone, this is the best evening ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, yeah, but we how many depends people, what you do with we them. Like people, how many people have spent an evening drinking and gone home and said, never again? What a waste of a night like and my money. Mom, we, and I then mean, two days later we do it again. Public, we're pub, I mean, my, my family are in the pub business. And I remember my mum so always saying... So you'd have to declare, like the Healy Rays have yeah, to declare them, right? But I you remember know? my mum saying it was the shortest journey between turning, um, you know, money into, you know, what, yeah. that you could imagine, well, you know? Yeah. Well, because we that's all, all you were yeah. doing with it. So see, just to ask you then, as someone who's out at night working away, what ah. you're with this thing, do you think we should go the way some of the other European cities where... 
clubs can stay up until five or six. And what about the people who are going to work meeting a load of drunk people in broad daylight coming home at six or seven in the morning? When ecstasy hit, right, in the 90s, that kind of, that phenomenon almost occurred because one, you had kind of, I was living in London at the time, which had kind of illegal raves, but also you had people who, after the pubs and after the clubs, they still had three or four ecstasy in their pockets. They were taking those. And you'd be on the tube at six o'clock in the morning and you'd have people chewing their right ear and what have you. Um, you're going to have that happen anyway. I think if we stagger, or, or, or if we, we'd have a year of, Look, it'd be like Mad Max. we won't have to worry about it at all in a few years' time because people will be drinking at home. At the trends that are going at the moment where you've got 43% plus another 10% But that's where they, but the, the pubs, need, the to have, but the pubs need to have a look at that and mm. go, well, why is that happening? All right, yeah. so, well, if the issue is the uh, fights and the aggression that happens mm. outside, Neve, are we sort of ignoring the elephant in the room that's rarely entered into this alcohol debate, which is that the amount of cocaine flying around this city and other cities and probably every town and village in the country is massive. It's come back in and it's, it's a well-known in. fact that cocaine with alcohol makes people very aggressive. Yeah. Are we focusing too much on the alcohol side of things? Possibly. I mean, they've just introduced ma- um, drug testing um, at the roadside in the last, I think, 18 months or so. and But it's very occasional it's compared very, to drink yeah, driving. Because I mean, it takes 15 minutes and that's why it's not easy yeah, to do. They yeah. need to speed it up. But I, I think what's interesting about the whole kind of pub closure debate is, you know, we, we still sort of um, see ourselves as we still see pubs as being part of our identity as Irish people. Now, I don't know what there is to replace that. I mean, in areas where post offices are closing down and the local shop is closing down, I mean, sometimes the pub is sort of the linchpin of the community. And I know what you're saying about it's it's probably rare to see, you know, massive fights on small country towns. It's You're speaking more about areas where there would probably be higher rates of, of, of that type of behaviour. Um, but I just don't think, I think it sounds a bit too easy to me to just right. say, you know, shut so them down. In, yeah. in a word, you're all in agreement then that we shouldn't be restricting the amount of new licence for pubs being given out, yeah? Well, I don't know how many there are, but I mean, up to now they've been declining. Right. And you all agree that... Yeah, but it's it's not like, you know, if we open more pubs, there's going to be more people drinking. You know, at the end of the day, it's a finite market. Um, if if there's a, a new pub opened and it's making money, then obviously there's yeah. there's a, a need for it. So. Who knows? Maybe more of the pubs that have no alcohol, the alcohol-free pubs might take off. We have one already. You never know. And where. that'll be closed in a week. And <laughs> I tell you what, though, what you need to do is add comedy clubs to all those pubs. Okay. I will happily... Mm-hmm. Lobby for that. Good idea. I think there needs to be more comedy nights, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, all right, let's talk about pettiness. Not that any of us would ever be accused <laughs> of pettiness. Uh, and I'll give you a bit of background to this because, uh, of course, it's never been said that Trump isn't petty. This is President Donald Trump, who's due here on next Tuesday or Wednesday. He's due. So, hello, he's welcome to drop into the studio. But anyway, President Trump, uh, he can sometimes be accused of being petty. During a visit to Japan this past weekend, White House officials who know the president best asked that a U.S. Navy warship that bears the Arizona Republican's name in honour of his father and grandfather be out of sight before Trump got there. According to an email obtained by the Wall Street Journal, the president's arrival instructions included removing anything with Senator McCain's name on it out of Trump's direct line of sight. So I think people are seeing it's petty. This is the USS John McCain, which... Obviously a warship, but um, named well for a guy who was taken into captivity in North Vietnam for five years. And the also, irony... Also his father and grandfather, yeah, who, were, who were admirals. Admiral. So it's and not just him, but the, regardless. The irony of the draft Dodger-in-Chief himself, who didn't 
take up the call because of I think bone spurs or something really petty like that and um, this is just an arch act of pettiness from a man who kind of has has really brought it to a whole new because level. when John McCain died he, he sort of got this reverential status didn't well there's he? kind of an interesting fight underway for his legacy at the moment because I suppose he was seen as sort of Republican in name only um, and his daughter recently tweeted that I, she I really can't stand his daughter now I Megan, have to say Megan yeah I'm just not a fan but other people love she her she kind of sticks in people's crawl right yeah. but um, I'm sure she, she's a lovely person in herself she, she recently kind of tweeted saying, would you just all leave my dad's legacy out of this? Because obviously he had a very horrific end to his life, very sad um, and kind of long and painful death. Five years in the middle that weren't yeah, great either. Yeah. Um, and I think in, in a way, I think her point is, I don't want the Democrats to try and use him um, and, and mm, sort of hijack mm, his legacy. Mm. And I definitely don't want the Republicans to be doing it as well. Um, but yeah, I suppose with Donald Trump, it's funny that the the Japanese were the very ones that have attempted to nominate him for a Nobel Peace Prize. So they are obviously willing to bow down right. to him. You for think he was he petty, wants. yeah? Sure do. All right, so you think he was petty Absolutely. as well? Absolutely, he's well, a yeah. vomit of a human being. Talk, talk <laughs> to me. Nothing he could do. It's talk to me about pettiness. What is it about us? We can be petty from time to time. Well, everyone we? has. We all throw our toys out of the pram, and sometimes pretty high. Um, I think that pettiness is is almost like a perfect storm. You have to have, yeah, you know, a bruised ego in some way and you need opportunity you know like you can't be petty you can't set out to be petty well how do you define petty give me some examples petty is you know almost cutting off your nose to spite your face if you know what I mean like I, well that's for, for me like even something like that like this has got out, gotten out now I, Trump is saying of course I never said it now of course no one believes mm-hmm. that now whether he did or didn't but I can't imagine some staffer just took that on board right so this is just a perfect example of Trump going um, I don't like John McCain I'm putting this out here Pettiness almost always seems to come back and bite you in the butt. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Are like, you speaking from personal experience? No, I'm no, I'm more. I'd be the one. I would literally come out and I'd stand on 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 the world stage and go, move that battleship. I never liked that idiot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Rather than be the guy yeah. that could just weaselly, subtly mm. does it. But that's Trump all over. He right. isn't. Yeah. What do you make of all this and pettiness? It is yeah. a human trait, though. Well, it, it is. Yeah. And I was thinking now, um, today, uh, what, what would you know, what I've considered a petty act on my behalf. And I have to admit to one that uh, I quite enjoyed. Um, I get a bit intimidated by you know the the, the makeup. Um, uh, you know the, the the very groomed ladies on the the beauty counters in oh, our big yeah. department stores. This is they going to be, be good. Come on, they can be quite intimidating, you know, because they're just so perfect and bulletproof. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I needed to get my a few extra things from my my bag. You know, the the the, the, the I was kind of creaking open, and uh, you know, so I had a um, um, uh, an eyeshadow that I was really very fond of, and I bought it in the store probably eighteen months earlier. So I went over to this rather snooty young woman and um, asked her, you know, could I get a replacement for this? And she says, oh, no, you couldn't possibly have bought that here in the last year and a half. You must have bought it somewhere out the country. Um, it wasn't right. here. Wow. We haven't stocked that for so long. And instead of saying, um, can I help you? And maybe I'll show you something yeah. else. What continued packing, unpacking the Christmas stock. And ignored me. Dismissed you. Dismissed me. So her colleague anyway then was just leaving the stand going on her lunch break or her tea break or something and said to me, just whispered to me, go down to such and such a stand. They have it there. Very like it. So off I went. Off you went. Down, <laughs> treated like a lady, bought a load of stuff, had two or three little bags with me, came back and did exactly what Julia Roberts did in Pretty what a Woman. Pretty Woman moment. I basically <laughs> said, big mistake. Um, you know, thank you very much. I'm a 
whatever, Clarence Woman for yeah, Life. Yeah. Really good recommendation. Leave, can I ask big, you about big that, that big mistake moment is huge. I remember Oprah Winfrey claimed she didn't get served in a store before and yes. she threatened. She, she wanted, Paris, yeah. yeah, and she wanted to buy every bag in the store mm-hmm. and just say to the, the person serving her, big mistake, except she realised they get commission. Yeah. Is, that, is that a moment women look for where you kind of want to have your Julia Roberts moment? Kind of. I did it once when I used to get consistently trolled um, on Twitter by this one guy who just wouldn't leave me alone. Honestly, I couldn't go on anything like this or open my mouth He's on outside, the telly. actually, if you'd yeah. like to see him. <laughs> Without him criticising me or even talking about my weight and stuff really? like that. And I was just like, at one stage I was actually pregnant and I was like, oh, this guy's just, a, you know. Anyway. A nasty um, troll. Yeah, and I, he rang me up. Uh, well, he didn't, he, 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 he became a member of staff uh, in Leinster House because his politician was successful wow. at an election. Wow. And then all of a sudden needed a favour. And maybe he didn't realise his handle wasn't his name on Twitter. So maybe he didn't realise that. But you knew. Yeah. So I kind of promised him the sun, moon and stars. Yeah, no problem. I can help you with that. No problem. And I called up the political rival of theirs and I did the story with them instead. Ooh. Oh, nice. Is that, nice. Pe- is that, pe- <laughs> that must have felt good though. <laughs> that, that's justified. Yeah, but you need to feel good, you know. I, I mean, petty, you, you know, they have to get, the, you, you were yeah. able to, to think of the answer when yeah. you needed to think of it. Listen, while I have you all here, before we all head off for the bank holiday weekend, Alan Carr, like him or hate him, I don't know what your views on him, but he's going to be bringing back classic game shows to ITV this year. It's like as if they can think of nothing else. Yeah. So there's there's just, no new ideas. Yeah. There's no new ideas for game shows. So they're going to be bringing back Player Cards Right, Strike It Lucky, Bullseye, Take Your Pick and The Price is Right, all returning to the TV. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen and children. Welcome to the Generation Game. Nice to see you. To see you. Well, Melanie, with four votes, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Stop the lights. The lights. Stop the lights. Okay, we'll stop the lights. Hello, welcome. Wednesday night, day six of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So, who are you going to be tonight, Jason? Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Boy George. Boy George! Good idea, bad idea, and what game show would you like to be brought back? I don't know about game shows. The only thing I would love to see returning was um, TFI Friday with Chris Evans. I used to absolutely adore that. But Great show. I did Great get addicted to yeah. um, I did get addicted to Countdown when I was on maternity leave. Um, and it was such a great sense of satisfaction when you'd get the sum that the people on the panel didn't get or whatever, you know. Yeah. But why, why is it, Steve, that... Like, these shows were huge. Saturday night, top, top billing. Now you look at, you know, the chase or tipping point and they're sort of on at three o'clock in the day. What's mm. changed? Well, well, for a start, we've got 300 channels as opposed to six or three. eight or whatever, right? So, yeah. you know, Saturday night was a big deal. Also, I think we're missing a lot. Like, the talent doesn't develop very often anymore. You know, it's like... Um, like Creedence Creek, Clearwater Revival, the band. Their first successful album was their seventh. Yeah. Right? So you, nobody invests in, in artists like that. You have to become an overnight success, really. Yeah, but when you look at someone yeah. like like Bruce Forsyth or what's his name? Um, Strike It Lucky, uh, Barrymore. Oh, yeah, Michael, uh, Michael Barrymore. Barrymore. But Terry Wogan used to host him as well. Well, exactly. But, very but, good. But he, but he, you think of the vast amount of experience that they had. Like someone like Bruce Forsyth started off in the theatre at whatever, probably eight years of age. So by the time he's on television, yeah. he could sing, he could dance, he could do whatever. Any, any game show you want back? 
Oh, uh, Bullseye. Okay, I'm ready to quickly... Blockbusters. Blockbusters. Do you know what I was thinking? I'm very patriotic here. The lyrics board. I love the lyrics board. That was good crack. It did come back in a different reincarnation, but let's bring it back again. Anyway, thank you all very much. Great to have you aboard here on the final furlong. Uh, And thank you for coming in to me on the hard shoulder this evening. That's your lot from the programme for this week. My thanks to the production team, Mark Simpson, Ashling Moore, Dan Flanagan, Jade Wilson and Roisin Davis. Off the ball is up next. I'll be back standing in for Ivan on Bank Holiday Monday from four. Have a great weekend. Air Credit Card brought to you by Bank of Ireland in partnership with Aer Lingus. Whether you're buying your weekly basics or splurging on a special gift, with Air Credit Card, you'll collect Avios and unlock even more rewards. The only credit card in Ireland that gives you travel rewards as you spend. Sign up now by searching Bank of Ireland Air Credit Card and go from tap to take off. Bank of Ireland, begin. Over 18s only. Acceptance criteria, lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Subject to a monthly fee of €7.99 and annual government stamp duty of €30. Euro. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.